We are in week four of a five-week series called Everyday Disciple. And what we've been talking about is, as a church, really something that's core at our vision and our mission of becoming a group of disciples who make disciples who then make disciples. And about 20 years ago, plus or minus, okay, yeah, something like that, I was a wilderness trail guide. And I worked up at this camp called Camp Ridcod. Anybody remember Camp Ridcod? Yeah, up in the San Juan Mountains, absolutely gorgeous place, and um, I think one of the prettiest places in Colorado. And this summer, I got to be a guide and a wilderness guide. We'd take groups out on the trail. We'd start out at trailhead and go way up into the San Juans, like under Uncompagre Peak and over these passes and stuff, and spend a week out on the trail with, uh, with young people, and it was an amazing time. And I remember this one group that came up one year. Uh, they were from inner city Houston. So these inner city kids from the school in Houston came up and um, they had, a lot of these kids had never been in the mountains before. Uh, it was a completely new experience for them. And then they're coming from Houston, which is pretty much zero, you know, pretty much sea level uh, elevation wise up to the trailhead. And that starts at like 9,000 feet. And then we'd go higher than that, right? And so, so a lot of these kids, I mean, it was definitely an adjustment. It's an adjustment enough. How many of you feel it when you go from Grand Junction up to like the Mesa, right? You feel it. So these kids are coming from sea level. I remember this one trip um, where we're taking these kids hiking and uh, this inner city Houston group, we get them out on the trail and there's this one gal who um, really doesn't want to be there, <laughs> really isn't very motivated to hike and really is struggling. And this trip, um, you know, when you do these trips, there's a deeper purpose, right? You're not just going out to suffer in the wilderness. That's not the point. The point is to go out into the wilderness, to disconnect from technology with these kids, uh, to, to teach them how to do some hard things, that they can do some hard things, right? But even deeper than that, the, the purpose why we did this, the camp's goal was to connect people to Jesus in a deeper way. That maybe, you know, putting the distractions aside, uh, we had campfire talks and different things like that. And kids would encounter Jesus in a real profound way in their lives. And that was the heart and the purpose. But I got to admit, on this one trip, I kind of lost sight of that. Because it really became trying to get this one young lady who was really difficult through this trip and out alive. Like without having to fly a helicopter in or something, Right. And so it was just a grind to get through this trip. And I think in the midst of it, I kind of lost sight of the deeper purpose of why we were out there doing this to, beginning, to, to begin with. And I think sometimes in our lives, it's a lot like that. I think our tendency is to get hyper-focused on the daily grind, on all of the things we have to do. How many of you have a checklist and you really don't get it checked off that often? You probably do, Right. Um, it, running your kids all over town to different events and activities, getting everybody fed, uh, getting paying the bills, keeping up with everything. And a lot of times it's just a grind and it's easy to lose sight of the deeper purpose in our lives. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, you know you've been given a deeper purpose. That he's called you and invited you to, to live on mission for him to live a life of purpose, to live a life that, that loves him and then expresses that in the way we love and treat others, to sharing the gospel, to inviting other people into relationship with him. You know, um, 
for the last four weeks, we've been looking at really uh, what's the outflow of the mission of our church, which is moving people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And really, this is just a simple way to express the heart of the Great Commission, sort of the, the, the mission that our church shares with the Big C Church, with anybody that's following the biblical mandate, the mandate of Jesus, where he says, hey, he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you all as to the end of the age. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is a common mission we share. And through the generations after generations, this has been passed down to us of the mission of why. Have you ever noticed, uh, I've never met someone who met Jesus and then just got beamed up to heaven immediately. It's like, what? Why is that? Because life's kind of hard sometimes, right? That would be kind of nice. But why are you here? It's because he's left you here on purpose. He's left you here with a mission. And so the focus of the series is really for us as a group of people to become disciples personally, who then go on to make disciples, who then will go on and make other disciples and participate in the mission that Jesus has given us. And so as you talk about making disciples, before you make disciples, it's really important to be a disciple, isn't it? A, a, a disciple is a devoted apprentice of Jesus. Someone who, when a rabbi in the first century would choose someone to be a disciple or a learner, um, he would invite them into this relationship of learning and following him um, with the purpose that not just they could pack their brains full of knowledge and learn stuff that they knew, but they would do the things that he did. And that's the heart behind it, that we would imitate our master in the way we live our lives in this world. And so there's four roles that we've been talking about over the last few weeks that are really a key to the way um, we think God is leading our church to move forward as we reach out to the community. Four roles of, of who we would like to become, who our dream is for each one of you to become as you follow Jesus. Four ways of, dis of describing what a disciple who makes disciples really is. And the first one of those, and if you are missing, you know, miss the other weeks, you can go back. In fact, I encourage you to go back and catch up on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. But I just want to recap and remind you really quick. The first one of those we talked about in Acts chapter 8, we looked at the life of this guy named Philip, the evangelist. And the first thing we talked about was being a responsive follower. And a responsive follower is someone who lives a life that can say, I'm daily seeking God's direction and choosing to obey. That I'm seeking the Lord and choosing to obey. So we gave you a couple questions to ask yourself and, and sort of ponder, how are you doing on that? And one of the questions is this, what has God recently revealed to me through scripture and or prayer? See, the heart is that you would be someone who's seek, regularly seeking the Lord in his written word, in the scripture, and then also in prayer, that you'd be listening to his voice, not just a sort of laundry list, one-way conversation, but you'd be praying and seeking his direction in your life on a daily basis. And so that's a good question. What, God, what have you recently been revealing to me through scripture and, and or prayer? And the second question is just as important. Am I doing what he says? Am I actually aligning my life to live the way the master is calling me to live? The second thing we looked at was this, an available friend. 
We think a disciple should be an available friend. And, and here's what that means. This is someone who can say, I'm consistently prioritizing friendships by keeping room in my schedule to connect with people. And this is a little harder for a lot of people because you just have such a packed full life. And so it takes a priority of actually saying, I'm going to leave some room, some space, some margin so that I can be involved in other people's lives. You know, most of the commands in the New Testament are meant to be carried out in the context of one another. It's one anothering. It's, it's how our love for God is expressed in our love for other people and being involved in their lives. And so we gave you a couple of questions to ask around this to kind of say, how am I doing? And one is this, who have I made time for this week? Who have I made time for this week? And the second one is this, who in my circle is hurting right now? That I have a circle God's placed around me of friends and family and connections. Who is hurting right now? And see, this is, this is making a priority and on purpose being available to other people, both people, gospel-focused friendships, gospel community, and also people who don't know Jesus yet and being available to people in our lives. The third one was this, a ready guide. And Jason talked about this last week. And a ready guide says that I am prepared and looking for opportunities to help someone else grow in their relationship with Jesus. This is someone who takes seriously the instruction not just to be a disciple, but to make disciples, to help other people grow and move toward Jesus in their, in their life personally. And so we gave you a couple questions to ask around this one. Who am I discipling? Who am I discipling? And then also, this is the looking for opportunities part of that. Who in my circle is ready to be discipled? That who, God, who have you placed around me that's hungry for you, that's asking questions? Who, who do you want me personally to help move and grow, help them grow in their relationship with you? Who can I influence that way? Who can I help guide closer to you, Jesus? Now, now there's a prepared thing in, in part of that is that you're growing in your relationship, right? You don't wait till you arrive. You know you never arrive. We're, we're lifelong learners. You never arrive at a point where you're like, whew, I'm done growing. No, we always grow throughout our lives. And you know, the first thing, um, one of the first disciples of Jesus, I love it, in the book of John, when he meets Jesus, Jesus invites him to follow him, and he's just like, man, Jesus. And he finds his buddy, and he's like, you got to come meet Jesus. And then he says, just the guy's like, what, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, just come and see. Come and see. And so it starts right away. As soon as you begin to follow Jesus, that you'd be drawing other people to him. But, but the goal is as you grow throughout your life, you would be more and more equipped to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus, a ready guide. And so today we're going to look at the last one of these four. And then don't miss next week, because next week we're really going to um, tie this all together and talk a little bit more about how we feel God's leading our church to help us all get to this place, to help us all move in this direction, okay? But the fourth one today that we're going to look at is this, a life on mission, a life on mission. And someone who's living their life on mission is someone who can say this, I am living my everyday life on mission to share the good news of Jesus. That every day in my life, my lifestyle is to live my life in such a way that I'd be able to share the good news of Jesus. And to help us have this conversation, why don't you go ahead, if you have your Bibles, and turn on over to Acts chapter 9. Now, we often teach 
verse by verse through whole books of the Bible here. Through this series, we've been kind of jumping around to some different places. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And I want to look at the story of one lady. And, and as I was talking with my wife, we were driving in the car um, earlier this week, kind of talking about where should we go with this last one, with life on mission. And she's like, man, I just read this story in Acts 9 about this lady. You should check her out. And so I started, I started uh, uh, my wife didn't tell me to check another woman out. That's not what she told me. Sorry. Uh, she's like, research her, right? Because she has an amazing life, an amazing example of living a life on mission. And so I did. And I'm like, wow, yeah. What, what a cool story. What a cool account. So we're going to be there. Just to recap where we're at in the book of Acts. Um, well, we haven't been teaching through it, but we started the series in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8. And if you remember, in Acts chapter 8, something happened. Uh, Acts chapter 7, we see the persecution of the, of the early church really begin in earnest with the death of the first martyr, Stephen. And right after that, a big persecution breaks out against the early church, and all except for the apostles were scattered out all around to the outskirts um, areas surrounding Jerusalem. The church was scattered. In fact, there was one primary persecutor of the church. His name was Saul. And this was a very hard time, but in the midst of that, people went out, and as they went, they still shared Jesus. Well, something really cool happens in the beginning of Acts chapter 9. Saul has a dramatic encounter and meets Jesus. And Saul, as you know, you know him by his uh, Greek name, the Apostle Paul, uh, becomes one of the primary church planners and missionaries in the early church. Kind of hard to persecute the church when your primary instigator meets Jesus, right? And so that's exactly what happens. And picking up in verse 31, here's what it says about that period. It said, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers, so we see this idea, the church grew, it was strengthened, and there was a time of peace. Now, the church, I remind you of this often, because the church doesn't, you think church, usually we think building, location. The church, in Greek, it means an assembly, a movement, ekklesia, a gathering. It's, it's the people, that's, that's the church, in moving in a direction for the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing's going to stop this. And what's cool is instead of persecution killing the church, like we see in Acts chapter 8, it just ended up spreading the, the people that love Jesus all over the whole region. And so people start, they, what do they do? They, they go where they're at and they share their faith. And so now this movement is continuing to pick up steam. And, and now during this time of peace, there's this encouragement and the believers stayed focused. It said they lived in the fear of God, a holy reverent awe for God, for who he was and for all he'd done. And they're encouraged by the Holy Spirit working in their midst. And it's a beautiful time. And the church grows. And it says in verse 32, as Peter, the apostle Peter, traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. This is a little ways to the southeast of modern-day Tel Aviv. It says, There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat 
And immediately Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, this is cool because Peter, remember Peter, the, one of the primary disciples of Jesus, had spent the last three years with Jesus, right? And actually, he got to see Jesus do the same thing where he walks into this, like, uh, this area, and there's this guy paralyzed, and Jesus says, hey, get up, your, you know, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy does. And Peter's like, well, I'm going to do what my master's doing. And he sees this, and he understands as he's seeking the Holy Spirit that this is what the Father's doing. Remember, Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing in the Gospels, and he understands this is what God's doing this, in this circumstance. And so he, like, has faith and says, get up and walk, and the guy is healed right there. And because of that, many people come to Jesus in this area where the Gospel is going forward. Let me just say, I've studied church history, and, you know, cool miracles have always occurred in the course of church history and still do to this day all, all over the world. Um, it's happening. There's a really great like 700-page book by a guy named Dr. Craig Keener documenting a lot of this stuff, right? But let me tell you, this was a really cool period of time in the early church as the gospel was first making inroads, and God used these the 12 apostles um, powerfully during this. But one, one thing I've noticed in missions work and working in different parts of the world is where the gospel is going forward in new frontiers, we should always pray. I mean, we always should pray with the expectation that God will move. But I've just noticed this powerful thing. When the gospel's going forward in new frontiers, man, God shows up and does some pretty cool stuff. And so you see that in this circumstance, as the gospel goes forward, Peter prays, this person's healed miraculously, and many people come to Jesus. Now, in verse 36, it says this, and we're getting to the story now, the account of this, this woman. It says this, in, in Joppa, there was a disciple, disciple of Jesus, a follower, an apprentice of Jesus named Tabitha. Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Tabitha. We're introduced to this, this follower of Jesus, Tabitha. And here's what you discover from her right from the get-go. She lived her life as a life on mission. She embraced this role. She loved God. She loved Jesus. And her love for Jesus expressed itself in the way she loved and served others. And so you see that she was always doing good and helping others. She was helping the poor. She, she didn't, in the midst of the busyness of life, she kept sight of the deeper purpose and meaning in life, living her life on mission, seeking first God's kingdom, sharing the love of Jesus. And she knew that God had placed her in this place and in this time in order to serve using the thing that God had given her, her gifts. She was making an impact for the kingdom of God. She was doing good stuff, serving Jesus. And then in this happened, verse 37. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. This is burial custom in the uh, first century where they would place a body kind of for a viewing before burial. Now, I think there should be a rule in life that bad things don't happen to good people. Anybody agree? There's not. There's not. You know, serving God, even serving God faithfully, doesn't guarantee a long life. It doesn't guarantee health. It doesn't guarantee wealth. 
fact, in one of Jesus' less popular promises, he promises that in this life you'll have trouble. But he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But this is the reality of life. This is the reality that we live in a world that's broken through sin. That's, that sin, when sin entered, there's a brokenness, right? And sometimes great believers who serve God with all their heart um, they experience that. It, it feels like I've been, as a pastor, I get to be involved in quite a few, but it feels like I've been involved in too many funerals lately. And some wonderful people that love Jesus. And sometimes they go at what feels way too early for us, right? This is the reality of, of life in a broken world. And oftentimes we don't know how to, you know, sort of where to put that in our, in our minds, right? But it doesn't mean God isn't there. He's not in the midst of it. He doesn't love. He doesn't care. He does. Now, we're going to see, this, this is a very rare thing, but we're going to see how Jesus has overcome in a dramatic way in, in this story. Here, here's how it goes on. Verse 37. About that time, uh, well, okay, we already read that. Um, verse 38, Lida was near Joppa. Joppa is in modern-day Tel Aviv. So when the d- disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men and urged him to come. Please come at once. Come on, quick, get here. They ran and got Peter, quickly. Now, this is like on foot. They're quite, you know, they're a ways away. This would have been a decent walk. They didn't just drive over real quick. But they ran over, they ran down, they got Peter, they brought him back. And verse 39 says that Peter went with them, and he arrived and he was taken to the upstairs, or taken upstairs to the room. And all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Tabitha or Dorcas had made while she was still with them. They were crying, they were showing her all this stuff. There was real grief. And, and here's what you got to see about Tabitha. This was a woman who was really genuinely missed because her life exuded love. Her life was about a bigger purpose than just herself. Her life was lived on mission for Jesus. Her love for God expressed itself in the way she served others. And so you see the widows who were, who were the, the poorest people often in this culture. They didn't have a social fabric system like we have in, in uh, you know, modern society. And so actually one of the primary missions of the early church, they cared for the widows and the orphans. So these were people that were often destitute. And clothing was very expensive in the first century. And you see, here's how she expressed her love. She had a gift. She, was a, she could sew and make some awesome clothes. And she gave those away to all these widows, and it blessed them in such a powerful way. She shared her love for Jesus, expressed itself in the way she loved and her generous heart and spirit. And they loved her. And they were weeping because they'd lost her. Just that strong sense of guilt. And so Peter's in the moment with all this chaos going on and the tears and they're showing him all this. And he's probably overwhelmed because of, you know, just the, the kingdom heart this, this, this woman has. And then he's like, oh, I remember something else Jesus did one time. And so, like it says in verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Now, how hard would that be? 
Like, Peter's done some cool things. Remember, he stepped out of a boat for like five seconds, and then he sunk, you know, but he stepped out of the boat. So he's done some cool things, but he was with Jesus when Jesus sent a bunch of people out of the room of this, like, religious leader's daughter who was also dead, and Jesus had Peter with him, right? And in that moment, as they sent these others off, Peter saw Jesus raise this, this girl from the dead. And so Peter prays hard. I'm sure he prayed hard. Oh, God. And, and he's, again, he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He senses, no, this is actually what the Father wants to do in this circumstance. And so he, he looks over and he goes, get up. And here's what happened. She opens her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. And he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, those that had been weeping so much, and presented her to them alive. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? What an encouragement. And here's what it says. This became known all over Joppa. You better believe it did, right? And many people believed in the Lord. God moved in a powerful way. Peter got to be involved and... Many people came to the Lord because of this. Now, I want to give a couple of observations about how Tabitha lived her life on mission and how this resulted in many people coming to the Lord. The first one is this. She lived her everyday life in a way that so impacted others that they had to have her back. I I think they were hoping God would do something powerful through Peter. Like, God had just used Peter in this healing of the paralytic, they probably heard about that, right? And so I think they're thinking, this is a long shot. Hurry, go get Peter. Why did they do that? Because they loved this woman so much. She had impacted their lives so much that they just had to have her back. That's the kind of life she lived for others around her. They cared so much that after she died, they're like, go get Peter, quick. The second thing is this. She understood... Um, Tabitha understood what God had wired her up to do, and she functioned in her gifting. Do you see that? What was her gifting? Serving in a very practical way. She used what, the, the skill and the talent and the gifting that God had given her to bless the lives of others. You know, when it comes to living a life on mission that, that shares the good news of Jesus, the love of God with others, you know, all of us are called to share Jesus. All of us are called to evangelism, what that means is sharing our faith with others, helping others come to know him in the first place. Now, not everyone is a evangelist like you see uh, in the scripture, a gift of an evangelist. I've, I've met some people, I, I mean, you know, we can probably all think of like Billy Graham, if you remember Billy Graham, um, who was used by God in powerful ways. But I actually had lunch with this guy who had the gift of evangelism. And I remember it was me and a couple other pastors. And he literally leads someone to Jesus on the way out of Buffalo Wild Wings at another table. And we're like, how did he do that? I don't have that gift, right? But we're all called to share Jesus when God brings us the opportunity. In fact, I had a beautiful moment at a hospital room uh, just a couple weeks ago with a couple of people praying to embrace Jesus. We're all called to that, to take those opportunities when God brings them to us. She you functioned in her gifting. She understood what God had wired her up to do, and she just did it, and she loved others so well that it, that it made a powerful impact in their life. The third thing is this. The result of her living out her God-given calling and the way it impacted people ended up being in 
many people believing in the Lord. So check this out, because I think it's pretty powerful. Um, in case you didn't know, being raised from the dead isn't very common. And it wasn't very common in the first century. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, I mean, Jesus, really? Just a handful, right? In Acts, only two. And one of them is this account we just read. And the other one is Paul. And that was an interesting one because he literally preached so long till midnight that somebody fell asleep in an upper window and fell down and died. And I think Paul ran down and felt really bad. And he's like, oh, no, please, God, you got to bring him back to life. I killed him. That's why we have nice chairs here. And they're not real far off the ground, okay? If I ever put you to sleep, you should be okay. And I don't have as much faith as Paul, so don't you be falling off him, Okay. But, but check this out. So God uses Peter to perform this incredible miracle, and it was a stupendous miracle at this time, which is why so many came to believe in Jesus. It, it was such an evidence for, for, for the gospel, right? And, and get this, like, here's the thing. Here's, here's how the, the ripples work, see? Because it, had she not been living her life on mission in such a way that it so impacted others, when she had died, people would have been sad, but I don't think they would have been like, go get Peter! We got to have her back, right? So they don't go get Peter. Peter doesn't come. She doesn't get raised from the dead. And lots of people in this area don't find Jesus. Her living her life on mission, in her calling, loving others the way she'd been called to do. You see the ripples and what it led to? She had no idea. But ultimately, her life impacted so many people. And we're here. Her life's still impacting people because we're reading about it today. And she's inspiring us to live our lives on mission, which is going to... See, you you have no idea the ripple effect of you just being faithful in the area God's called you. A life on mission. A life on mission is someone who says, I am living my everyday life on mission to share the good news of Jesus. My everyday life. You know, your greatest mission field is your everyday life. That's your greatest mission field. A pastor author named Robbie Gallaty, who wrote the book Replicate, that really um, helped inspire the, the, the Replicate groups that we're launching that Jason told you about are, just, are small discipleship groups. You'll hear more about them as, as we go forward. But he really, uh, he wrote a book. And one thing he said is, is this, and I think it's really powerful. He, he said this. He said, getting people to come to church is a great endeavor. Inviting people here, they're going to hear the gospel. That's a great endeavor. He said, but what's even greater is the front line of ministry called your everyday life. See, God has placed every one of you in a specific place with a specific group of people around you, and you're called on mission to that group of people. The way we've said that over the past couple of years here is my circle, my responsibility that God's called us to reach those around us. See, not everybody's called to be a speaker or a pastor or go overseas long-term as a missionary, but every believer is called to full-time ministry. I have a pet peeve, and that's we, we try not to like refer to ourselves as in full-time ministry. We usually use the term vocational ministry, or at least we try, because here's what full-time ministry, when you're referring to pastors or missionaries, communicates. Everybody else, you're part-time. No, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you are in full-time ministry. Your life is to be lived on mission for him. You do something else for a paycheck and probably get a better one, a lot of you. But that is your mission field. That's your mission field, right? Paul puts it this way. 
in Ephesians. We took weeks and weeks. We went through Ephesians earlier this year. And here's what he says. Catch this. He says this in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the heart of the gospel that you didn't do anything to tip the scales in your favor, you know, attended church enough, said enough prayers, gave enough, whatever, that God's okay with you. No, he loved you first, and while you were dead in your trespasses and sinned, he reached down, he grabbed you, he went after you. You responded through faith to the free gift of grace. The free gift of grace. You got nothing to boast about. We're all on an equal platform at the foot of the cross. The gospel And you can receive that. In fact, um, if you're here today, you can receive that free gift today simply by placing your faith and trust fully in Jesus and what he did when he died and rose again for you as the full payment for your sin. And you can experience his eternal life. So that's the gospel. But it doesn't just stop at, at receiving a free gift. It works itself out in a grateful response to the gospel in our lives. See, don't don't separate verse 10 from the others. He goes on, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That he has a purpose and a plan for your life. That he knew you before you were ever born. He knew the way he had wired you up. He understood the place in history you were going to be born in, the circle that was going to be around you. The, the position, the influence you would have in your life. And he wants to use that for his good, for the kingdom of God. You were created to do good works. And literally, when it says his handiwork, it's the Greek word poema or a masterpiece. When he saw your life and planned you, you are his masterpiece. See, this is why I think so often we miss it. But the greatest area of impact is often right down the hall at work or at home. Your greatest area of discipleship, if you're a parent or grandparent, will probably be in your own home with your own kids, with your own grandkids, as you help them grow and move toward Jesus. This is at work, those relationships that God just puts you together. You're together eight hours a day. At school, those that you rub shoulders with every single week. At home, on the side of the sports field, as you're, as you're watching your kids game, those are relationships. God's put you in this place. This is your everyday life, and it's your most powerful mission field. We have some good friends that, that come on Saturday night, and uh, they have a home daycare. And, man, they just use it as, uh, like, they love people really, really well. And they pray for people. They tell us, like, man, we've been playing, praying for so-and-so for this many years. I think they're coming this week. Like, that's awesome. We've seen God impact lives, and that's, what, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's what life on mission is about, being involved, praying for others, caring for others. You're his masterpiece. He's given you a unique God-given calling to live out. And yours looks different than mine, looks different than the person next to you. We oftentimes look and base our lives, especially with social media, on like being a success and looking at others and taking our cue and reference. No, the question is, God, what have you wired me up to do? Who have you placed around me to reach? That's the bigger purpose. That's what you're all about. That's what you're doing. He's given you like gifts and interests, things you like, things you're interested in. 
Any guys like hunting, fishing? Nobody's going to raise their hand. All right, some of you are going to raise your hand. Hey, you know what? Some other dudes in your life like it too that don't know Jesus yet. It's a great opportunity to be involved in the lives of others. And I'm sure everyone in the room has something like that. Be aware. Part, a lot of living a life on mission is simply being aware of what God is doing right around you. That the Father's working, like Jesus said, I do what I see my Father doing. Understanding that the Father's working around you. And the primary thing he's doing behind the scenes, the plot, the bigger plot, under the plot, and all the daily like details of life, is he's drawing hearts toward him. And you're part of that plan. That's, what, that's the deeper picture of life and purpose behind life. We get so caught up in the daily grind. How do you connect and stay connected? Okay, God, there's a deeper purpose here. It's being aware of what the Father's doing and being attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit when he says, hey, pay attention to this. There might be something deeper going on here. I uh, sold my, my old car uh, truck and got a, a, a same-year old truck with lots of miles on it, but it's a Toyota, so it's going to go a long ways. And I, I got to put a little bit of a, a lift on it and some little bit bigger tires, nothing crazy. But so it'd be good for hunting and getting out on the Jeep trails and stuff like that. It would be fun. And I was running over to meet this guy and buy like a computer monitor off uh, Facebook Marketplace. Um, I'm always like buying used stuff on Marketplace. Anyway, I go and I show up and the guy's like, man, nice rig. I'm like, thanks. I'm kind of proud of it, you know. So we got to talking. He's a Toyota guy, and he was showing me his Forerunner. It was all tricked out, and I'm like, cool. And then it hits me. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe God's doing something deeper. And we started just talking about life, and he was going through kind of a, a hard period of life, and got to invite him. I don't know. Hopefully, he'll come sometime. And I realized, like, it's in those moments that God's like, I've got a deeper thing going on here. You pay attention to that, or are you just focused on the surface thing? God's always drawing people. He's always moving. Are you paying attention to it? You know, Jesus, in one of his most famous sermons, he tells us a little bit about how this works itself out in our lives. He says this, you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This was the life that Tabitha lived. It brought glory to God. See, salt, what does salt do? Well, it preserves stuff, right? And especially in a culture without refrigeration. Some of you, you've been hunting, and you're, you're using some salt to preserve some jerky. And if you need a taste tester, you just let me know. Well, I'll be... Happy to help you out with that. Preserves things. It has a preservative thing. It, it, it brings out the flavor, doesn't it? Salt brings out the flavor, the good flavor. Tabitha, her life brought out the flavor of the love of the Father God. Didn't it? What does light do? 
Light does a lot of different things. Part of it is, is it warns of danger, and part of the role of a believer is, is to, to warn people of the eternal peril that they're actually in and invite them into relationship and eternal life with Jesus in a way that's full of grace and truth. Just like our, our Savior, our, our teacher, Jesus. Light warns of danger. It shows you the way. I remember traveling once and uh, staying in like an Airbnb somewhere, and um, I just got up in the, in the middle of the night, disoriented. Have you ever done this? Pitch black, and I just remember groping around, trying to like find it. And all of a sudden, you start freaking out a little inside, panicking because you can't find anything. You're like going to start knocking over lamps and things. Light. All of a sudden, a light switch goes on. It shows you the way, doesn't it? A believer is called to help show others the way to Jesus, to what life is really meant to be, and ultimately to bring glory to our Father. Did you know your life preaches a sermon that either draws people toward Jesus or repels them from him? You're every, every single person in here, you're a preacher. Your life is preaching a sermon. There's a guy, he was an evangelist. His name's Bill Stafford. And he said this, and I thought it was really good. Your walk talks, and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right? I want to say that one more time in case you missed it. I think it's good to memorize. Your walk talks, and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. See, people are looking at our lives how we react on the side of the, you know, basketball court. Like Tabitha, how we're expressing our love for Jesus and the way we care for others around us. What's your walk talking about to the people around? Life on mission. I am living my everyday life on mission to share the good news of Jesus. We've got two questions for you to take home. And ponder this week to ask, kind of ask God, how am I doing on this? The first one is this. Who am I praying for? And what's the next step towards sharing the gospel with them? See, if you keep this on, on the front of your mind, that you would always have someone in your life you are praying to be able to share Jesus with. You, you are looking for opportunities you're praying for because you love them and you want them to experience the life in Jesus. You're asking, what's the next step? You know what? God's going to show you that. If you're praying and you're looking, he's going to show you. And you're going to have some amazing opportunities that you may have totally missed before. That's a very personal thing. God, who am I praying for? Are you praying for anyone consistently right now? If not, I know God's placed people in your circle that he wants you to be praying for and asking what's the next step to share Jesus. This is the bigger picture. The Father's drawing people towards him. Don't live your life just focused on the little things. Understand he's drawing people. There's a bigger picture and thing he's, he's doing. There's a plot. There's a purpose. It's not just surviving like, like on our backpacking trip. It, it, it's hearts being drawn toward him. Second one is this. How am I leveraging my time and resources for the kingdom of God? That God has given you, he's placed you in a, you know, a circle of, Friends, but beyond that, he's given you uh, a certain amount of things that, that he's entrusted to your care. He's given you a certain amount of time. How are you leveraging that for his kingdom? 
And yes, this is a generosity thing, a generosity of heart, understanding he's the owner of everything that we've just been entrusted and asking him, how do you want me to invest and leverage what you've given me for you? But it goes beyond that, right? It's it's opening up. I have a friend, they just let a bunch of high school kids take over and run over their house (laughs) to share Jesus with them, to have 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 a Bible study, right? People are more important than stuff. Are you using your stuff for him, for the kingdom? We have a couple of vans parked back out here that are going to take a bunch of our kids out to uh, Stute's Farm later on, a, on an event. We have some friends in the church. Well, church hasn't known those. We have some friends that just have a couple extra vans they keep. And they have a kingdom heart. And they loan them out all the time to different churches and ministries. We've taken them to Mexico, right? It's just like, all right, this is your stuff, God. In fact, we're going to be strategic and have this because we know it's going to be needed for your kingdom. I think that's awesome. How, how, what is he placed? How does he want to use your business to reach people for Jesus? How does he want to use the influence you have in, in the community for Jesus? How are you leveraging that for the kingdom of God? Would you stand? And as we close, I just want to say one more thing to some of you in the room. Some of you have something in your past, maybe distant, maybe not. But it's been keeping you from living life on mission. You've got something, you're like, I really blew it in that area. Um, I don't know how God could use me after this. Guess what? That's a lie of the enemy. And he's trying to keep you away from living your life for Jesus. You know the cool thing about this whole story? Peter, the guy that God uses to perform this dramatic miracle in this story, not too long before this, he had his worst moment of his life where he literally denies Jesus three times. If you're struggling with something like this where you're like, I don't know how God could use me and it's been kicking your life out of living on mission for him, you need to go read John 21. And the love Jesus shows as he restores him. Because had not Jesus restored him, uh, Peter wouldn't be an ax preaching the first sermon where thousands of people respond to Jesus and coming around and being used by God in this powerful way where many came to Jesus. And some of you have something where you need to receive the grace and the forgiveness of God and get some other people around you to support you and encourage you because God's calling you to something and he wants you to get to it and not let your failure keep you from it. So if that's you, I hope you'll do that today. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for my friends. Lord, and if that's, there's that person here that needs to reach out and embrace your, the gospel, your grace and forgiveness for the first time, may they do that today before they leave. If that's you in the room, you can just call out to him. Acknowledge who he is and ask him for his life and forgiveness. Commit your life to following him. Lord, for the rest of us, would you help us live on mission for you? Get to the things you're calling us to. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that you even choose to use us in the deeper thing that you're doing in this world. But we're so glad you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.